God, today, thank you again. Thank you again for your spirit. Thank you that you give us direction through him. Father, I pray that the words we're about to focus on in, in this Bible, Father, are not simply for informative purposes alone. But, Father, may they be inspirational. May, they, may we see them as divinely inspired. And may we know that it is you speaking to us. God, this is your way of communicating to our hearts, to our minds. Help us to see ourselves in this and find application to move it forward. Father, above all, may we embrace your spirit as we move today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As we go into Acts, we are now approaching the second chapter. The first chapter for the past couple weeks, we've been looking at um, a bit of a prologue, the scene of Jesus being uh, crucified, and then his resurrection. And then right after that, those 40 days that he spent revealing himself to the people was at the end of the Gospels. But Acts went back and gave a little more detail as it went through that. Before his ascension into heaven, we're going to see a few, de or we saw a few details in the past few weeks. And then last week, we saw where Judas, the disciple that left, was replaced by Matthias through a casting of lots, through a lottery type um, process, but it was a divinely approached, or divinely inspired, I would say, um, selection process, because back then, they approached it with such prayer uh, and such submission to God that that, that selection process was one um, that was proper. Not so much today. Not so much today. I would, I would warn you on that approach. But now, as these men, if you quick, uh, let me give you a bit of context before we get more, much more into this. And uh, I know this is going to feel more like a Bible study than a sermon, and that's okay because God's word is far more powerful than mine. As, we, as we're in this scene, let's get, let's get the context of where we are in this scene. Jesus told the apostles and all the others to wait. Wait. Jesus just ascended into heaven, right? And he just left them. And they're like, now what do we do? What do we need to do? Right? And they were told through God. They were told, go and wait Jerusalem. Go and wait. What? Wait. A lot of times we get to points in our lives where we're like, God, I'm ready. Some, I, I need you right now. I need you to show yourself in such a way. I need you to give me direction in such a way. And we get back the answer, wait. And that's a hard answer to get. Imagine how hard it was for these men whose lives were in danger because they had the entire uh, thousands and essentially hundreds and thousands of people that were there because of Passover, because of the great pilgrimage of all the Jews having to travel to Jerusalem at this point for the Passover celebration. They were all there and they knew what was going on and they knew these men were part of Jesus's apostles. And Jesus had just been murdered for what he stood for and what he did and what he believed. So they knew they were a part of it. They, they were in danger in physical danger. And we're praying to God, and God says, wait 
go to the scene of the crime and just hang out, right? And wait. What? Yeah. And that's what God gave them the answer. And so they did. And so there was so much unity with that group of men and women. There was so much unity that they pulled together and they waited. They didn't just wait anywhere. They went to the upper room, right? In this, this scene, we're now in the upper room. And because of um, the nature of staying in the upper room, there were over 120 people. Very few homes at that time could handle 120 people. So it is pretty well thought and agreed upon that the upper room is in the, uh, in the temple, right? So they're here, essentially hidden in this upper room. Doors locked, closed because of the fear of their lives. But they weren't scared, essentially. They were unified. They were unified in prayer. They were unified in fellowship. They were there not knowing what exactly is going to happen. But I'm going to send my promise to you. Like they knew exactly what was going to happen. And we're going to find out when we read this scripture. They had no idea what was about to go, come down, literally. What was about to go down in this upper room. And it's amazing. And it is, it is an amazing thing for us to see in the New Testament times, right? What God does and what God can do to the lives of believers. And we're about to see this now through through this scripture. So let's read together. If we start in Acts chapter 2, let's take this as the word of God preaching, teaching, excuse me, teaching us and, and, and informing us on, in our lifestyle and all that we do. So starting in Acts chapter 2, and we are now at the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues. And the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was con confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, all these who are speaking are Galileans. How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, ah, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of, God's, of God in their own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But... Some sneered, and they said, well, they're drunk on new wine. That is the word we're focusing on today in that passage. There is so much we could pull out from that. But we're going to go through it one more, one more time. We're going to break a few things down, and hopefully jumps out at us to see how God is talking to us. So back to verse 1 again. When the day of Pentecost... 
Pentecost, okay, all right, what does that mean? What, what, give me some of this un understanding of all this Christianese, Pentecost and all that. Well, Pentecost was this ancient Jewish tradition um, of the 50 days following uh, the Passover celebration. Essentially, now it's 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus. It falls in a, in, into that time, the Penta 550, right? Kind of kind of makes sense a little bit there, but that 50-day 50, 50 window afterward is the Pentecost, right? They were all together in one place. So 50 days after the Passover, they're all together in one place, and suddenly, suddenly something happens, right? Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. The suddenly thing that tells us that it was surprising in nature. They, although they knew that the promise of God was coming and they knew something was going to happen, they had no way to anticipate the sheer power and the sheer um, awe-inspiring thing that's about to happen to them. So they were, they, it caused them to kind of step back. This suddenly is the same word suddenly that later in the Acts we're going to see suddenly an earthquake happen, right? It's the same kind of same exact word that's used. So these people were um, staggered and surprised, like you, you could imagine. The sound of violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And the whole room where they all were, it filled that. This mighty rushing wind. Different translation gives it different, different names. It's the outpouring in this time. The powerful, it wasn't just the silent little thing that happened and everybody got some goosebumps, right? Right? This was an act, a supernatural act of God that happened. That's recorded, that happened with all, every single one of these people there. Now, in the use of this, the wind, the rushing wind, it's in both Hebrew and Greek languages, it, it's the same word for both breath the breath and wind. Breath and wind are the same in this, so it's like the breath of God coming down from heaven. God literally staggered these people with this rushing wind into this room that was so powerful that it made this powerful sound, the sound of the Holy Spirit being poured on the disciples. And then in verse 3, once this sound happens and these people are staggered, then they saw... Tongues like flames of fire. Okay. Tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. This is a, a figurative uh, speech in this, this visual image. Not literal fire on their heads, but something that had the appearance of fire. Tongues like, okay, that tells you in the scripture, this amazing thing, supernatural thing that's almost unexplainable, but the only way we can say it is to, like the fire on, uh, that are resting on their heads, right? And if you see some old, uh, older uh, portraits of this scene in Scripture, you'll see flames on the heads of people, right? And it's like, what? Why would God do that? But if we step back and we look at it, that's the only way man knew how to describe it. You can't paint what God can do. It was so supernatural and so unexplainable that you couldn't even paint it, draw it out, or explain what had just happened. 
But these people on top, uh, on their heads, they were so consumed by the spirit. It had an appearance similar to fire. Not a single little flame, but this fire, like a campfire fire type thing, this supernatural thing that just manifested itself on each one of them. We'll come back to this. Verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now this is more fulfillment of prophecy. It's more of New Testament prophecy. John the Baptist, what we just read to the kids, right? John, he, in Matthew 3.11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I am. I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And in this moment, the Spirit comes down on all these people, and they are so consumed by the Holy Spirit that they are literally glowing, right, with, with fire above their head. And this, this fire, and I, wanna, I hope you were listening when I was talking to the kiddos, this fire, it is not this literal physical fire that um, more of a pagan approach to say, well, I'm going to cleanse myself, so I'm going to use literal fire in doing that. That is not it at all. The fire of the Spirit is a spiritual fire. If you hear people say, man, he is so on fire for God, or she's so on fire right now, what they're saying, it's another way of saying, like, these are committed believers that are going far beyond what's normal, that are making them stand out from the normal Christian folk, right? They're so on fire that they're, they're visually standing out from everyone because they're doing so much. They're loving so much. They are oh, uh, speaking so much of trying to find ways to share the good news. So being on fire for God, this is the reference to that, of being on fire, right? And this fire is a fire of purity. So in order to be filled, if you're making notes, I want you to jot this down for sure. If you want to be filled, you first have to be emptied. Let me say it again. If you want to be filled, we must first be emptied. You cannot fill a pitcher full of anything you want unless what is in that is completely emptied first. Unless what is in that is completely emptied first. So you, Christian. Your heart is full of you. Before God, before Christ, before your commitment to Jesus, and you making that decision to follow him, your heart is full of nothing but yourself. Your selfish desires, your selfish wants, your selfish needs, all of us, and that's the nature of who we are. You're, we're human, and the flesh rules until we make submission, until we empty that, and it's hard to do without God. And so the saying, empty me, God, God, empty me. If you hear that over and over again, why well, do I want to empty myself? Empty me of me so, God, I can fill, fill my heart with you. You can't make more room in your heart. You can't make more room to go right on what's to put God alongside you. Okay? You got to get what you is out of the way and put God in its place. So in order to be filled by the Spirit, 
these men and women that were in this in this room together for hours and days and were praying and uh, in uh, pure submission to God and were scared but were unified and they said God empty me and they were emptying themselves to the point where God could fill it so in this scene in this Pentecost right the coming down of the Holy Spirit the Spirit comes and fills their hearts because they were vessels that had been emptied and were ready to be filled. So church, if you want more of God in your life, if you want more, uh, if you want, if you want more of the Spirit to direct you, and we talk more about the Holy Spirit, and today is a major focus on that, and if you want that, you got to get you out of the way. What do you want in your life? What does God want in my life? These, these perspectives that we have, and we can look at this over and over again, but unless we're looking back at ourselves and we are evaluating where we are, continually evaluating where we are, you can't get better until you get out of denial, right? Until you get out of denial so that you can make room for God to use you in your life. So before we are filled, we've got to be emptied. And these people were desperate. These people in this upper room, they were desperate because they couldn't go. They had just been directed. Look, if we go back to verse 8, God, or Jesus just told them, okay, it's not for you to know the time period that the Father that set his own authority, but here's what Jesus says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's telling them what's about to happen. And you will be my witnesses. Another word for martyr. You will be a person that is going to go to the ends of the earth and share the gospel and tell the word about Jesus to the point of giving up your own life. That same word for witness is the, is the same word for martyr, somebody that would die for the goodness of a cause. Jesus just told them that. And now he left them. They're scared to death, church. They're scared. I don't, how, God, how am I going to do this? I follow Jesus and we've been They knew that. So they prayed and they prayed and said, God, we need your help. And he sent his help. The breath of God came down and filled their lives, filled their hearts. Everything they were is now directed by the Holy Spirit. 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says this. You ready? If we claim to be without sin, listen. And this speaks to me and it should speak to you. If, this claim, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us of our sins. And he will forgive us of our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us of our sins. But, doesn't end there it doesn't end there the verse goes on and it says he will forgive us of our sins and purify us purify the heat the fire God's consuming fire 
melting out all impurities in our heart, he will purify us from all unrighteousness. Other verses will say cleanse us. He will take. So God, I can't do this. That's right. God, I got these problems, and I just can't overcome them, and they just come back again and again. I just can't stop it from happening. That's just who I am. You can't do it alone. But through God, all things are possible. Through God, he can purify. He can melt out those impurities. He can take that unrighteousness and cleanse us from that unrighteousness. And now I'm like, okay, Sean, so you just told me i got to empty myself before God can fill me. And now you're saying you got to let God in so he can cleanse you. <laughs> Tell us what it is, right? I read earlier this week, um, I, I read a quick article, and I came across this section. It says, you would not wait if you are in an emergency, a physical emergency in your life, and you are bleeding to death, you would not wait until the bleeding stops to go to the emergency room. Would you? I'm not going, well, I'll just, just, let, just let me, just let me be on, calm down. I think my bleeding will stop. I think it will be okay. And then I'll go to the emergency room later. And then they'll fix it later, right? That's when I'll go. That makes no sense. Let's flip it to us in our spiritual life. I'll start going to church whenever I get my life right. I'll start going to church when things get better. I'll start going to church whenever the pain in my life goes away. Whenever the tough parts of my life are gone, I'll start going to church then. Whenever my life gets better. Not when I need it most. The church, <laughs> the church is for the needy. The church is for the broken. The church is for the people that are in situations in their life. Die. Because the church can give life. So no, church, we don't wait until things get right to ask the Spirit to come fill our heart. God is the only chance you have to cleanse out the impurities. So in this moment, if your heart is filled with selfless things, we pray to God and we seek God's direction in that. And we ask him to help us to overcome the unrighteous things, the impurities, the sins, the shortcomings, the things we struggle with, that's when, that's when we let him purify us. So in order to be filled, we've got to first be empty, and we have to let God do that emptying, and then the spirit can move in such an amazing way. Second key point is this promise of the Holy Spirit in Old Testament times, right, the Old Covenant, was that it was the promise of God to all the Jews, right? The nation, right, of Israel. It was a, it was a um, big picture promise for all people collectively, right? And now it's new. It's the new covenant promise to, for us individually. So the promise is not big picture yours. The promise is yours individually. The Holy Spirit's going to come to you. This is your individualized promise. Verse 5. Now, there were Jews staying in Jerusalem. There were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And when, they, when this sound occurred, 
the sound of the breath of God, the rushing of wind coming in, the crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed and said, look, aren't these, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How, how is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? And this is perplexing, as the, as the scripture says. This is like, what is just happening here? These are Galileans, right? They were from Galilee, most of the people that were following, and they were in this room that were the, the apostles, and all the believers there. Why is that significant? Well, Galilee didn't have a reputation of being the most intellectual place. They were not highly educated folk, and they were kind of frowned upon by everyone else, right? It's like if you lived in Fayette County and someone came up to you and said, hey, I'm from Bath County. It's like, huh? How's this meet? It's all right, we can say that. We're not the most. We get a bad rap. We're good people. We're smart people. Anyway, Galilee did not ha had a bad rap. They had, they had in, in the intellectual people, we're not from Galilee. So there's no way that these people could be in there speaking anything in their native tongue. They would not have the special training, the education to be speaking anything else. So they're like, what is happening? How? They must be drunk. What they said. These people must be so drunk that they don't know they're even speaking different languages. They're that drunk, right? They've been and that makes no sense at all. But really? Really, if we step back and you're looking at a person that is doing something that they, they can't be doing that on their own, there's something wrong. They would never point to God. That must be God using them. This person's going out and helping out a needy family. That's one of the most selfish people I'd ever met in my life before. And now they're doing something so selfless. They must be getting paid for that. Something's going on there. They would never do that. This person, who was probably the, the biggest partier I'd ever partied with in my life, who was the most addicted person that I'd ever lived with, ever seen in my life, is now going, and they're, they're teaching, they're wanting to be a counselor, they're trying to counsel people on their drug problems. What? No. That person's, that person's trying to just look good for everybody. There's something going on there. There's no way that I'm going to point to God using them. That's the culture we live in. That's the battle we face, Christians, that when we are changed by the Spirit and the Spirit comes into our life and changes in such a mighty way that people take notice that they'll never point to God. And that's why our job is to love people. But when we do that, we remind them who's empowering us to do it love and do and do amazing things but if you aren't giving credit to God why are we doing it same concept goes in this scenario these people were said oh they must be drunk something's going on there's no way God could be using them in such a way so when we go and we do amazing when the spirit enables us to do things and God's used us in such a way give credit to God going back and we're going to finish up with this these people that were in the upper room did not did not force the spirit to come upon them they came the, the holy spirit came down fire 
tongues like fire were on them, and they were able to speak in a language they never did before, speaking in tongues. It was like, what is, what, what? The spirit was not forced. They did not just start speaking in tongues and then say, okay, I'm going to let the spirit move in your life. They can't force that. And that's what I want to share with you. You cannot, Christian, force the spirit to come and use you in this supernatural way. Although I wish we could say, all right, God, it's time. Spirit, come down. I need to go do amazing things. We don't force that. And these people did not force that. In, in John 3, uh, as he was talking to Nicodemus, he said this, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. Very ironic with what we're reading today. And you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. We don't have the power to control God. We don't have the power to tell God what kind of gifting that he gives us. Not everyone gets the gift of prophecy. Not everyone gets the gift of tongue. Not everyone gets the gift of loving people. Not everyone gets the gift of compassion. We all have our own special God-directed, God-designed spiritual gifts when we give our hearts to Christ. God enables us to do things we couldn't before because his spirit is using us and we're allowing that to happen. So God will give you the gifts you need. God will enable you to do amazing things as we go back to verse 8, to go to the ends of the earth, to share the good news with everyone, to go to the ends of the earth, to the point where you become not just a celebrated Christian by the Christians, oh, I'm so proud of that person for going and doing missions, but you become despised by your friends and family. You become disowned. You become someone that people frown upon because you're going, even in your family, you're standing up for God. You're sharing the good news to the people that will never listen to you. That's how empowered we should be. That's how empowered we can be through the Holy Spirit. But God, I can't do this. God, these people would never listen to me. But God, but God. And that's how we, that's how we rationalize things for not being obedient to the Spirit. And that's not it at all. The Spirit's going to give us the power, the ability to do Amazing things. I'm being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let me go back to this. When we give believers, here's the thing, church. The gospel is straightforward, and I share it with you every Sunday, and I share it with you again. We are all separated eternally from God because of the sin that man has. Man is, is sinful. We inherited the sinfulness, and that's who we are. We have the flesh, and because of that, we cannot be in the presence of God. And God loved us too much for us to be eternally separated from him. And he needed to figure out a way, so he gave his son, Jesus Christ, himself in the flesh, to come live and to die and to pay that debt that only he could pay, that he didn't know, but only he could pay. Because the wages of sin were death. And he didn't want us to, that to happen to his great creation, us. So his son came and died on our behalf. And if we believe, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the son of God, and Jesus is not just Savior who saved us from our sin, but Jesus is Lord who I submit my life to, who I surrender my life to, at that point, 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven, that's when it happens for us. We're not going to go to some upper room and pray and then we get uh, tongues of fire on our head. That was a, a supernatural occurrence in that, on that day of Pentecost. For the Holy Spirit to come, to live in your heart and to be a part of who you are and direct your life, it happens in that moment of complete surrender and submission. And so today I tell you that. If you are not a believer and you don't have direction of the Spirit, and maybe you've not fully surrendered, you recognize God as Savior. God, thank you for saving me. But you have never surrendered to, to Jesus as Lord. Then that's the problem. There's a big difference of recognizing Jesus as Savior than surrendering to him as Lord to being obedient to what he says in our life. Today, I challenge you that. I encourage you today not to leave this place without surrendering and submitting to Jesus as Lord. Let's do that today. I'm going to pray as Brock comes up and we'll lead our closing song. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today I pray. <clears throat> Father, today I pray for your spirit. Because your spirit is promised to each and every one of us. Father, you living in our hearts, this amazing power within us, we take for granted the same, very same power that enabled Jesus Christ to rise from the dead. The very same power. God, that defeated death that caused the lame to walk and the blind to see, the very same power that performs miracles all, all over this world every single day. It lives within us, but we don't take, or we take it for granted and we don't embrace that. Father, may we submit more today to your Holy Spirit, that in our life, that in our life, we commit to your direction, not our own. Father, help us to be a people, help us to be individuals, and help us to be a church that is a church directed by you, that prays for the direction of the Holy Spirit, that prays for surrender, and that prays ultimately for you to get the glory because of it. Father, we thank you for your, your gift. We thank you for your, script, for your word that we study and we understand, and Father, I pray for application. That we're not supposed to be people that are just feel good about being believers. But we are to be a people that surrender and then embrace the direction of the Holy Spirit. And where you say go, God, help us to be obedient. Help us to be obedient. Father, we embrace you today and we thank you for your spirit. May we live every day more and more committed to follow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.